Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for Sunday, June 15th, 2014. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jacks Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon is entitled, The Power of Three, The Nature of Reality and the Naming of God. I know that all of you have been highly anticipating today as one of those celebration Sundays in the church year. You know, there's Christmas, and there's Easter, and there's Trinity Sunday. And all of you have been excitedly waiting today as Trinity Sunday, haven't you? Let me see your hands. Yes, I have been, Russ. Thank you. I know that all of you have recognized that it it is a holy day of the year, one of those celebration Sundays, and it's why we're wearing white stoles today, and there's a white pyramid. And I know that all of you have recognized that all of the music we have heard or sung so far has been in 3-4, chosen for Trinity Sunday. Actually, the anthem, I believe, was in 6-8, but Monty says that's just like 2-3, so that still counts. (laughs) Trinity Sunday. The doctrine of the Trinity might be the least appreciated, most misunderstood, um, maybe most disbelieved of all the doctrines of the Christian church. I don't hear many people who have great appreciation for being Trinitarian, what it means and why we would even say that to begin with. If you affirm the doctrine, it's one of those creedal doctrines. We say it, you know, we read it, yeah, Trinity, yeah, yeah, whatever, right? I want to try to tell you today about this doctrine of the Trinity, which is not attested in Scripture, other than in a few references, such as Dan just read, references to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The word Trinity is not a biblical word. It never appears in Scripture, nor the word Trinitarian. So where did this doctrine come from and why? I want to try to tell you two things today, two things on Trinity Sunday. I guess I should have had three things, shouldn't I? (laughs) Why? Why the doctrine? And why should it be important to you? Why should it matter to you? There is a power that runs through this universe from beginning to end. It is inherent to the fabric of the cosmos. It can be observed in natural phenomena, in organizational structures, in philosophical systems. It is the power of three. Once you have opened your eyes to it, you cannot miss it. Music is deeply connected to the the properties of physics on which our world is founded, and the fundamental building block of all music is the three tones of the major triad, do, mi, so. Though some theoretical physicists have postulated alternative universes founded on additional hypothetical dimensions, from one side of our infinite cosmos to the other, three dimensions define all the space that we know. To say something is in 3D is just a means of affirming that it is real. How could any real object be only two dimensions, height and depth, but no width, or width and height, but no depth? And can you even begin wrapping your head around a one-dimensional object? 
It takes three dimensions, no more and no less, to define real objects in our real world. This inherent threeness shows up in every aspect of the creative arts. Triptychs are three-panel displays used to create a single picture. And every decorator among us knows the need to group things in threes, don't you? Two candles just won't work in that centerpiece. You need the third. And that wall in your den just had to have a third picture to make the grouping complete. I see it often as I read, and I find the compulsive need to three-arise in my own writing. I've seen it several times in the litanies and the confessions and the, uh, the, the words of our, our text today in our bulletin. There's the old sermon form of three points and a poem, and I cannot escape the pull toward a pulse of threes in illustrations, examples, alliterations. The prayer might say, find us giving thanks, forgive us by your grace, free us to love. Find us, forgive us, free us. It just didn't feel right without all three. Why do we teach our children their ABCs? Why not teach them their ABCDEFs or just their ABs? Races begin on a triple cadence. Runners, take your marks, get set, go. Why not just say run? When we take pictures, we count to three before we say cheese. Mathematicians, through the study of geometry, learned long ago to prove what had been blatantly obvious to engineers and builders even long before that, that the strongest shape is the triangle. Three equal sides all bearing an equivalent force. Bridges and all manner of support structures are dependent on the Holy Trinity. Now I'm only being a touch facetious here. Three just seems to be written into the order of nature. Google it. Google three or Google the power of three, or three in art, or three in science, or three in, take your pick, fill in the blank, and you will find thousands of references. A mythology of three seems to be a part of every culture. A Chinese myth says nothing created one. One created two. Two created three, and three created everything else there is. An extension of this myth explains that all the symbols in the Chinese lexicon, every single Chinese symbol is a variation of the symbols for the numbers one, two, or three. My friend Dr. John Ballinger espouses a theology of relationship based on the power of three. You've already read it in the litany today. There are only three different qualities of relationship, John says. The first quality is aloneness, one. The second kind of relationship is companionship. It is the I and thou relationship. It's me and any one other individual, 
too. And then the third quality of relationship is community. Three, there's aloneness, there's companionship, and there is community. John says everything beyond three is just more of community. Of course, a community of a thousand is different from a community of three, but the fundamental dynamic is still community, which implies cooperation, collaboration, compromise. You see what I did there? Cooperation, collaboration, compromise. It just feels like it's inherent. The power of three is written throughout the Bible, and rabbis have long been fascinated with this number, which came to symbolize completeness. One internet query tells me that the number is used 523 times throughout the pages of Scripture. I didn't take the time to check that out, but you could rattle off a dozen threes without thinking, I'm sure. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. There were three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jonah spent how many days in the belly of that smelly fish? Three. Job was visited by three friends, each of whose theology of suffering was worse than the one before. Jesus was tempted three times. Paul was shipwrecked three times. Jewish jurisprudence required three witnesses to validate evidence in court. Maybe this was why Jesus usually took three friends with him when he needed spiritual support. James, John, and Peter were always there for their friend, except, of course, when they were not. And Peter's notable threefold denial of Jesus the night before he was crucified would be the best or worst evidence of this. Even though Friday night, sundown to daybreak Sunday is hardly three full days, the Easter story would be incomplete without a resurrection on the third day. Three days also being the requirement in a world which had no means of medical forensics to pronounce that someone was legally, actually, completely dead. Jesus rose on the third day because that proves he was really dead. And on that beach, the crusty shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, when Peter was confronted by the risen Lord, Jesus gave him three opportunities to prove himself after that threefold denial. Do you love me? Jesus said. Peter, do you? Do you love me, Peter? It was a threefold absolution, the complete forgiveness Peter needed, the complete forgiveness that Jesus always offers. There is a power of three, a power that runs through this universe from beginning to end. It is inherent to the fabric of the cosmos. It can be observed in natural phenomena, in organizational structures, in philosophical systems. It is the power of three. Christian theology affirms that God is one, but not just one. God is three in one. 
How could we expect anything less? If, as someone has suggested, life shapes itself in triads, what else could God be? The great scholar and noted expert in comparative religions, Houston Smith, says there are three indispensable Christian doctrines, incarnation, atonement, and trinity. And he says all doctrines derive from experience. Hear that carefully. All doctrines derive from experience. The doctrine of the Trinity wasn't just something a bunch of stuffy Eastern bishops dreamed up in 325 CE at the Council of Nicaea when they declared Jesus to be God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. At that council, there was an ecclesiastical showdown to beat all ecclesiastical showdowns. It was better than any John Wayne Western, better than Clint Eastwood's Make My Day, punk. The showdown was between a bishop named Arius, who forcefully, persuasively argued that the monotheistic God of Judaism, who was the father of Jesus, was the one God who was just one. Absolute, static, non-changing, indivisible, separate, impassable, holy other, one and only one God. And when he got through, a bishop named Athanasius complimented his colleague for his impassioned theological lecture, and then he said, in effect, yeah, Arius, but that's not what we have experienced. That's not how we have experienced God out there, indivisible, absolute, untouchable, holy other. Before Jesus came, we experienced the power of God, the mystery and the majesty of God's name, God's powerful deeds. But in Jesus, we also experienced, how do we say it? We also experienced God, God with us. And then since Jesus, we have experienced the presence of God among us still among us, even within us. It seems to me that then, in the councils, as now, if you get caught up in the dense illogic of the creed, trying to parse the boundaries, one person of the Godhead from the other two, you will have completely missed the point, which is not the doctrine but the experience. The point is not precise definition of God who is mystery. The point is not mathematical precision, three in one and not five in one or 15 in one. God isn't 3.0000 wrapped in 1.0000. The point is experience. Human experience is not one-dimensional. 
We experience the world through our physicality, touch and taste and smell and hear. But there is also our sexuality, which is much more than just physicality. And there is the emotional human dynamic and the spiritual human dynamic and the social interactive human dynamic. And you would not do justice to the human experience by trying to find, to define what it means to be human with only one of those dimensions of our diverse encounter with this world. Arius said God is absolute. God has no needs. God is one. Athanasius wanted to know how God could be said to be loved if God had not felt the yearning of need. Arius says God is static, undivided. God is one. And Athanasius wanted to know how God could be said to be loved if God had never shared anything. Arius said God is impassable. That means without passion. God, being God, could not suffer, did not suffer. God is one. Athanasius wanted to know how God could be said to be loved if God had not known the fullness of human experience and the fullness of that love which always suffers. You see, the God of Arius could be said to be uncaring, unmoved, unchangeable, untouchable, unapproachable, static, absolute, ultimate power, just one. And I can imagine bowing down in fearful obeisance to that kind of God, but I cannot imagine approaching that kind of deity in worship, much less with any feeling of love. If that is who God is, then you could understand elevating as supreme the attributes of force and power and control or just cold, calculating, impassioned judgment. But that is not who God is. Not in my experience. The image of the one God who is not just one has compelled the Christian church since Jesus taught us about such a God by Jesus' own living. The image of a God who is, by God's very nature, a community. The image of a God who is mutuality and sharing, who is self-giving love. That image should compel us to make community above all else the supreme value. It's not about me. It's not even about you and me. It's about all of us. And it's about all of us. All God is a community which makes community 
divide. May it be so. And may it be so. And may it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening today. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Grace and peace to you.